0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I have to say, the, uh, the fact that the mute all button is stuck <laughs> didn't really mean much. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, it's so cool to be a part of a church like this when, like, Rosie preaches, basically <laughs> teaches us theology in her in her prayer. And Lisa prays, and Stephanie sings, and I'm like, we can stop. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, something that struck me that I wanted to share with you just quickly before I jump into the message uh, is just about what the body of of believers at Obi Joyful is, um, because maybe there's just one person out there that needs to hear that this. But this is a place that is full of people who are uh, recognize their brokenness. Okay. Uh, we are not a church and will not be a church that's a, a huddle up of people who have everything together. And uh, not, I'm not talking about we have trouble in our lives, because uh, we do, but I mean, we know that we need someone to rescue us. And uh, so I just want to put that out there and just say, we kinda, if you are like me sometimes and, and we get a little too focused on being the fellowship of, of the believers that we get to be with, um, On Sunday morning, I just want to remind us all that we are here to uh, join not only with believers but people that are seeking, and we're all in need of a savior together. And so, just wanted to throw that out as to to build a little foundation about who the people in this room are. Uh, So, having said that, Elijah is the guy that we're going to look at today. Elijah is uh, quite a character in the Scripture. And he ties in with the series we're in in Hebrews, uh, but in a loose way. He's referred to, these last few people we've looked at uh, are people that are generally referred to in Hebrews 11, right at the end of it. And it it just says, "Hey, these are people who things happened to where they had to exercise incredible faith to follow God. And Elijah's one of those. And and it mentions something about people who have dealt with, with fire, and uh, how God had helped them come through that, and this is one of those stories. Elijah is actually the last person that we're going to look at in the series. Uh, next week is a little bit different; it's right at the end of the beginning of chapter eleven, and then the next two weeks will lead us to uh, Sunday before Easter and Easter itself. So we'll wrap up our series then. So three more of these. Uh, let me say this about Elijah. <laughs> His story is the story of a melancholy man whose life is punctuated by incredible, incredibly furious God-ordained uh, events. It's like kind of depressed, kind of dangerous, some risk-taking. God goes crazy and does crazy stuff. And then back to, uh, he's, it's hard for him to see what's happening, why God's doing what he's doing. And so what really crossed my mind is, is something that I want to bring out and I've been trying to wrestle with as I've looked at this story and, and thought about sharing it with you today is the absolute futility of what happened from Elijah's point of view in the story that we're studying today. It's famous, and people who don't have much church history know something about sometimes the history of Elijah, you know, bring down the fire of God to destroy this. This uh, offering of this bull, while the prophets of Baal, which were four hundred fifty strong, couldn't cause anything to happen, and so God was glorified. But the thing was, as soon as that was over, it was like the day passed, and that was it. <coughs> and so I was—I've ask, been asking myself, you know, what, how is it that God has allowed this this amazing event to happen? And then it's like the faucet completely turns off. The purpose of it seems to evaporate completely. And Elijah goes into into despair. Before we try to answer that, let me tell you a little bit about the story. Uh, We heard just a little bit of it from Shar. We're in uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. So I would encourage you to go back and look through that, 18 and 19, and following. It's pretty interesting stuff. Elijah arrives on the scene, and one of the kings of Israel, one of the wicked kings, is Ahab. And Ahab is the king at the time. His father was wicked and followed other gods. And God calls Elijah to speak to the king. Now, I, I would hope that as I'm talking, you can visualize this situation. Like, make it real for yourself. Okay? So Elijah goes before, he has, he's a prophet, so he has been anointed by God. He's recognized by the people. And he has uh, access to the king's power. He comes before this king who has authority, and, and he says, you know, king Ahab, what I want to tell you is that God has told me that there's going to be a drought in this land for, for as long as it takes because of two things. You and the people have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. What that means is you've forsaken your relationship with God. So because you forsake the one, and two, you followed other gods. In other words, you've put other things, man-made things, things you've made up, in front of God. Because of those two things, there's going to be a drought until I, Elijah, say that it's over. Now, in those days, to curse your nation like that was a pretty dangerous thing to do. But he did it. And he immediately runs. And he hides for three years. And what's crazy about this, Elijah goes, God says, I want you to go over here to this place where you'll be hidden and there's a creek running through it and there's water for you, right? So Elijah goes there and what happens to the creek? God's over. Right. You know, I don't, I just, I'm wondering if we can relate to Elijah a little bit. You know, sometimes you think, oh yeah, okay, I'm with God, things, on in relationship, God. You know? And then, he uh, find God provides for him miraculously. But he comes back on the scene. A uh, guy calls him to come back and speak to Ahab again. And a guy named Obadiah, who's high up in the, the order of, of power in that nation, meets, uh, meets with Elijah and Elijah says, hey, go tell Ahab I want to meet him. And Obadiah, he's, he's reticent about that, but he makes it happen. The two come together and, uh, and Elijah says, hey, Ahab, here's what's going to have to happen. I want you to gather up a bunch of the people of Israel and meet on top of this mountain. And you guys can picture this. Top of a kind of a rounded mountain that looks out and you can see the sea in the distance. It's on the the western coast. They're looking into the Mediterranean. And they're up on this. He says, I want to meet these prophets of Baal. 450 of them. Baal was the prevailing God at the time. I want to meet them on top of this hill and a bunch of the people of Israel. And something's going to happen there. I need you to be there. So, That's what happens. They call a meeting. All these people come together. And what Elijah does is is what exactly we, we just read, what Shah read, is that he says, we're going to take two bowls, and we're going to make two altars, and you guys are going to try to call down fire from your God, and I'm going to do the same thing. And whichever God brings down fire, that's the real God. And they're like, okay, deal. So now this was you got to imagine a picture of Elijah speaking to the group of people, right? He's he's somehow above them. There's a bunch of people. This is 130 people or something like that. So there's three or four times as many prophets there. He speaks to them, and there's probably at least that many of the Israelites. And he's yelling out to them, saying, this is what it is. As it comes closer to them, he says, we're going to do this. We're going to set up this contest, this, this thing where the odds are stacked greatly against me, against God. Or against our God. Or the true God, I should say. Which they have received. So, the prophets of Baal, they spend six hours trying to call down fire. And about halfway through uh, that process, Elijah says, Hey, Hey you guys. Uh, maybe Baal is on a trip. <laughs> Literally says He says, uh, he says uh, or maybe he's asleep. Because he's real, right? I and mean, he said he says he's a god, so he, he might be resting. Or he might be in the outhouse. That's what he says. So he's like taunted. Now. I mean, if this doesn't work out for Elijah. Right, He's taking a really, really bold step. And I love that example for us. You know, just absolutely out there. I trust God, regardless of what happens here. Well, after the prophets of Baal cut themselves, they're bleeding, it's this frenzy, nothing happens. Elijah, as you guys know the story, but I'll just tell you. He, he says, all right, people, we're going to rebuild this altar. We need these 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to build in Bible history and learning to this, this thing that's going to happen. So they build this, uh, this altar, and they put the bowl on it, and they dig a trench around it. And he says, okay, now I want you to pour some water on it. And he says, you yeah, know, I think it's three or four, you know, big old pitchers' of water. Pour those on, and he says, now I want you to do it again. So they do it again. And, you know, remember, it's a three-and-a-half-year drought. So these people are like, wait a second. You know, this is a big deal to pull this water out. They do it three times. So it's completely doused. The wood, everything around it, the the trench they built uh, built is is filled in. And then uh, he prays 50 words, and God annihilates that altar in an incredibly cool miracle. He burns up the stones and everything. And the people are like, that is right. God is here for all of the afternoon. (laughs) Because the next day, Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, says to uh, uh, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Elijah takes off. Jezebel stays in power, Ahab stays in power, there's no change in the culture, and Elijah is in the wilderness. But so I'm asking myself, why? Why? And at least part of the answer was brought to me on a Thursday at our staff meeting. Uh, Many of y'all know Renee, she leads our kids' ministry. That lady is awesome. I'm telling you, uh, spend some time with her. And she was uh, leading the little uh, Bible study section we did that day. And she said that in her morning devotion, she had been reminded of something really important. And it's important to her, especially because she wants to move here as soon as possible. She's, she's leading from a distance until the summer when they're able to get here. And she says, This is what I was reminded of in Scripture God makes our path straight. In his way. God promises to lead us in his path. So, what we think should be the outcome may not be the outcome. Right? If God called Elijah into that space, Elijah obeyed by faith. And that's good. See, Elijah had this singular purpose in his life, and it drove his decisions about his faith and how he would act. And it is revealed in his prayer. I'm going to read this to you. Those few, just about 50 words he prays to God in 1836. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, that means just the start of the offering that he was making, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac in Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. So notice what he phrase. He says, "I may have set off somebody, Siri." Here. <laughs> Siri, I want to say Let it be known that, okay, this is his purpose, that you are God. Let it be known that you are God. This is what drives his decisions of faith. And then he has two little sub points within that. That I am yours. Let it be known that you're God, that I am yours, and that your word is preeminent in my life. Your story and my story are being written. Regardless of how our story appears to our culture or to our idea of success or any of those things, may our story be that our singular focus, the balance of our decisions, are all made on the fact that we want God to be known, that we are His. And that our life is based on His Word. So, what I want to tell you. Okay, page four disappeared. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> here it is, it's back. We <laughs> it, <I've> <laughs> it. were going to have this sort of blank space there. <laughs> yeah. So, here is what I want to do. I want to encourage us to think about the characters in this. I'm, I'm going to just look at four different characters real briefly. And I want us to think about our life, how it aligns with them, and how we'd like to align with Elijah. And we'll do Elijah last. We're going to look at Ahab. We're going to look at that guy, Obadiah, the people, and then we'll get to Elijah. And I'm just going to hit them pretty briefly, but I think you'll be able to connect with each, in some way, I think each of us with each one, some more than others. So. Ahab. Ahab's the king, and what I want to call him is the inheritor. Okay? When you look at his life, one of the chief things you see is that he has inherited things. In particular, the throne. And he's one of those kings, like I said earlier, that when he inherited the throne, and when you read, if you ever read through the Bible, it's like, and so-and-so became the king and reigned for this many years, and he did good in the sight of the or he did wickedly in sight of the Lord. Well, Ahab is definitely in the line of he did wickedly in the sight of the Lord. He inherits the throne. He inherits leadership. He inherits his faith. His faith was handed down, and he didn't make a decision to follow God. Right? He just inherited. There's nothing wrong with inheriting things, but it's what we do with them. He acts wickedly with both. He, he failed to take that inheritance and lead the people of God. Now, how that applies to us is that I'm going to tell you this. If you're a believer, and I'm just talking to believers right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a leader that people are watching. It matters what you do. It doesn't matter what you did to disqualify yourself or do, because you know what? That's what makes you worthy of Jesus. He is the one who loves you because you're messed up. You are leading. You may rebel, you may not want that, you may not exist, but you and I, who are believers, are leaders (coughs) of Christ. Your story matters to other people. And it would be a shame if we would take that story and sacrifice it like Ahab did. That responsibility that was graciously given to us, and give it up because we're distracted by other things. You know, in fact, this guy uh, had the benefit of having people speak into his life, like really strong leaders speak into his life. In particular, Elijah, others. I think Obadiah had his moments of of leadership within that community. People spoke into his life, but he ignored their counsel. You know, I've done this many times. People say speak truth to me. And I'm like, eh, that's great. I see that here all the time. I see people come here thinking that things are going to be better in and they think, they're, And they start to get people around them that encourage them. And then because of their own lusts and desires and addictions and fears, uh, it's really easy to move in. It just gets uh, swept along by the culture here. It happens all the time. I want to encourage all of us to be careful not to ignore good counsel for people who love the Lord. If you hear it, listen. He did not. Another thing he did, and I'll stop with this one on him, is he bound himself then to influencers who hurt him. One of the things you'll see if you read the whole passage is that he married Jezebel. And it was like, oh my gosh, why did you do that? I mean... She she was a strong, strong woman who was absolutely devoted to things that were antithetical to the God of the universe. And she was extremely (coughs) destructive. If you read her story, it's amazing. It was not a subtle decision. When he tied himself to Jezebel, he, he tied himself to destruction. We need to be careful who and what we tie ourselves to. So there's Ahab. That's his story. Obadiah. Obadiah was like Daniel. We talked about Daniel last week because he'd risen to a place of authority in the kingdom, and he was a devoted follower of God. So that, that's really cool. It's great when people who follow God, in our case, who follow him and his son, Jesus Christ, have an impact in the community and respect in the community. That's, that's a beautiful thing. But he was not like Daniel. In that, when it came time to truly reveal who he was loyal to, he was afraid to do it. Uh, in the story, uh, what happens is, is Elijah comes with to Obadiah and says, "Obadiah, you need to go to Ahab, tell him I want to meet him." And Obadiah is afraid to do that because it's identifying with the prophet of God. In verse twelve, or yeah, verse twelve, and 8, it says. And as soon as I have gone from you, Obadiah says, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, <clears throat> feared the Lord from my youth. That, that's, that sentence is such a strange contrast. I fear the Lord, but I'm afraid of Ahab. Remember when Daniel finds out that he's going to be killed if he follows God publicly? He's like... Follow God. Not, not a second of definition. Elijah seems to kind of roll in the same way. I, I think I would call uh, Obadiah something of a chameleon. I've always followed God, but nobody knows it, you know, except you, Elijah. Daniel, Daniel in our story last week, he didn't didn't hide who he was. He always was was very forthright with his faith. I think Obadiah was keeping it under the grass. This is afraid of what would happen. Even though he had faith since he was a child. This this guy resonates with me a lot. Okay, the people. Let's talk about them just for a moment. What I would say about the people is that they were ungrounded in the Word of God. At least, ungrounded tethered to all kinds of different things flown by, but not grounded in the word of God. Look at uh, verse 21. Elijah came near to the people, so he's gathered up this huge group of folks, and he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions when you visualize the metaphor he's trying to use? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is the true God, well, then follow him. And the people didn't answer him or... I mean, that that almost sounds like one of those, you know, pre-war settings in a movie where the guy, the general's giving them, you know, here it is, everybody. If God's God, let's follow him. And they're like... Nothing. Well, I don't... I don't know exactly why they did that. It could have been fear of of a lot of different things. But when we zoom out and look at their culture just a little bit, it's amazing how familiar it starts to seem. It looked different. Like they didn't have air conditioning and and heated floors. But the humans were still there. And they're still impressed with you. Let me just share with you a couple of those thoughts. Their culture celebrated power, like however it came, inherited for a reason or a what. Wealth and power, celebrity, were cherished and relished and looked at and watched and followed. And they had a strong uh, affinity for sexual deviance, for breaking down the barriers of what God had created for humans. In our culture, we absorb what the media tells us and shows us. And we make our decisions about what we're going to take in from books, magazines, the Internet, movies, TV, Netflix, Amazon, whatever. We're like, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. Everybody's seeing that. That's okay. I can read that. That's okay. I can read that. We're pretty soon, you know, the, the media and uh, Apple News, for me, is driving the bus of the way I think. Right? Media influences me influences all of us in a way that it says uh, we love celebrity, we love power we love what all that looks like and we also are naturally, we just can't help it, attracted to sexual deviance. We just are. Well, in that day it was the religious leaders in this case the the leaders of Baal because the the, 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 the religious leaders of God had been kicked out of the country and kind of driven underground that guided the social, the understanding of what was good and bad in the culture. I'm not going to tell you all the details because it wouldn't be appropriate to say it in here but it's with all the kids in here, but it's in the Bible. And you can look and see what they were doing in the temple that was totally accepted as a form of worship. Okay? So, it sexual deviance had totally informed the deepest part of their spiritual lives. I think that happens to us, which is guided by the media. They were not grounded in the word of God. And when when Elijah builds that altar, he's like trying to remind them of what they knew. We're going to build this on 12 stones. 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes that you all are a part of. Twelve stones would represent the word of God that should be built into your heart like foundation. Because when we stand on the word of God, we're able to withstand the stream of water that's coming down against us. And we won't. We we'll still want to, but it's it's easier not to slip and just get dragged sucked into the head because it's powerful. So we have Ahab. We have. He's the inheritor, right? We have Obadiah. He's the guy who's the chameleon. We have the people who are ungrounded in the word of God to guide them. We have Elijah. Just take a brief look at this guy. He was obedient to God's word. He said, let them know that your word rules in my life, God. That was the third thing he said. Praise to God. Let them know that your word rules in my life. See, obedience to God's word, it leads to transformation. And I don't know what obedience, the word obedience, sounds like to you. It may sound like an uh, old church word or something that happened to you when your parents made you do something. Obedience is a totally <coughs> different thing in the kingdom of God. Obedience means knowing God's word, learning about it, following him in that, and finding the freedom and the joy of walking closely with God. I can tell you, like, I'm obedient to my relationship, the covenant that I've made with my wife, right? And because of that, we experience a lot more joy in our relationship. That's just a little tiny example of what it means to be obedient to something that's been created, that is, a set of rules. And within the rules, we find freedom and joy, not outside of them. Our media tells us, and we believe, that outside of everything that's been set up is right is where we'll actually find the good stuff. So, here's this guy. Obedience is is transformative in his life, but his trademark in his story was frustration. God just set him up for a life of frustrations. He let me give you a couple examples. He's a black and white kind of guy. So I'm not that necessarily that way. Some of you are black and white people, and you know if you're black and white, you know it. Like, like. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Come on, show me. Not just in here. Okay. Some of us are a little more gray. It's like, okay. Um, he was one of those people who's like, this is wrong. They should know it. They should change their behavior. It's black and white. <coughs> These people don't deserve the mercy of God. God has just done this amazing miracle. And one day later, Elijah is on the run. And he's in the middle of the desert now, desperate, hiding out under some brook bush, trying to stay cool, and he's ready to die. That's what's happening to him as a result of his... uh, And and he's even more frustrated because he's thinking, why could God not just wipe out Ahab and his kingdom? Why couldn't he just start? Sounds a little bit like Jonah. He wanted God to be known. Like Daniel, he wanted God to be known. But did you notice in the story of Elijah, it doesn't happen that, uh, like in Daniel's story, where Darius writes this thing. He says, hey, everybody, God is God. He is good. He is over all things, and he saved Daniel. That doesn't happen with this. Jezebel chases Elijah out of town. That's the end of the story. He wanted God to be known, and his frustration rises from that. So here he is in 1 Kings 19, verse 3. He's been chased out of the nation. He's in the wilderness. Listen to what what happens. He was afraid, and he rose and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to the nation of Judah, and he left his servant in that town. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, And came to set down under a broom tree. And he asked the Lord that he might die. Saying, it is enough. I've had it. Take away my life. Now that's frustrating. Right? He's totally frustrated with what God is doing. He's saying, you know what? I've had it with you, God. I've had it with them. Stop But God meets him there soon after in a way that's one of the most powerful interactions between God and man that has ever been written in the scripture. It's later on in chapter 19, it's amazing. Take a look at it. God comes to him. Because the story is not about Elijah. The story is about God. So let me let me conclude. Uh, hopefully you found a place in there to sort of connect to some of these people or maybe all of them, Ahab, or the people, or Elijah. Maybe some combination of that. But remember what we learned from Renee. When we follow God in faith, he will lead us in his path. It's his story. Our story is being written. The best story you ever have written about us is his. We are right. God, I want to pray right now that you would help each of us who are followers of you in this room, that we would make it known that you are God, and that people would know that we are yours. That and that our lives would be grounded in your word. I pray for those